Welcome to the serialized audiobook of The Starter, Season 3 of the Galactic Football League series, written and performed by Scott Sigler. The Starter is also available as an ebook and as an ad free, unabridged audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit scottsigler.com slash the starter. Week 7, Ionath Krakens at Lou Juggernauts. Planet Division Standings. In first place, the Isis Ice Storm at 4 and 1. Tied for second place with records of 4 and 2, the Toe Pirates and the Mars Planets. A three-way tie for fourth place teams with 3 and 2 records, the Lou Juggernauts, the Hitoni Hullwalkers, and the Wabash Wolfpack. With 3 and 3 records and tied for 7th, the All Criminals and the Themala Dreadnoughts. Tied for ninth place with two and three records, the Alamo Armada and the Coronada Delana Cloud Killers. And in last place with a record of one and four, the Ionath Krakens. Over in the Solar Division, a two-way tie for first with records of four and one, the New Rodina Astronauts and the Board Brigands. Tied for third with records of four and two, the Dakau War Dogs and the Neptune Scarlet Flyers. The three and two Jupiter Jacks are in fifth place. The three and three Sala Intrigue are in sixth. The 2 and 3 Bartel Waterbugs are in 7th, tied for 8th with records of 1 and 4, the Vic Vanguard and the Shora Warlords. In 10th place, the Jang Atom Smashers with a record of 1 and 5, and in last place, the Chillich Spider Bears with a record of 0 and 5. A memo from the desk of GFL Commissioner Rob Frost. 2. Greedock the Splithead. Subject. The League's stance on the murder investigation involving suspect Jude Tweedy. It is the Galactic Football League's official position that Jude Tweedy is now a member of the INF Krakens, and as such, he is afforded the full diplomatic immunity granted to any signed player. Ergo, he may not be detained by the system police of Orbital Station 1, nor may he be detained by any law enforcement agency during his travels. The GFL will cooperate with the investigation into the murder of Grace McDermott, of which Jude Tweedy is a suspect. The Krakens franchise is also expected to cooperate fully. Further questioning of Jude Tweedy is required and will be performed on the Krakens official team bus, the Touchback. Any efforts by Krakens franchise to deny access to Jude Tweedy will result in maximum fines and penalties available at the Commissioner's discretion. Unofficially, let it be known that I, Rob Frost, in my capacity as GFL Commissioner, will get to the bottom of this. Jew Tweedy had the means, the motive, and the opportunity to murder Grace McDermott. Witnesses put him at the scene of this crime. If he committed this crime, not only will he pay, but I will do everything in my power to have the INF Kraken's franchise charter pulled for damaging the image of the GFL and for general abhorrent behavior. The Kretorakians may turn a blind eye to your criminal ways, Greedock, but I'm watching. Sooner or later, you're going to get what's coming to you. Signed, Rob Frost.
In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Memo from the desk of Greedock the Splithead. Two. GFL Commissioner Rob Frost. Subject, a response to your memo regarding the Grace McDermott investigation. Dear Commissioner Frost, the Ionath Krakens wish to thank you for your involvement in this delicate matter. We have full confidence that Jew Tweedy will be found innocent of this heinous and tragic crime. And when, not if, Jew Tweedy is cleared of all charges, I will expect a full apology, in person, for your insolent tone. People far more important than you have asked my forgiveness for far less. Of this I assure you. Forgiveness, I should add, that most of them did not receive. If you are looking for enemies, Commissioner Frost, may I respectfully suggest you shop elsewhere. The cost for dancing with me might be higher than you are prepared to pay. Sincerely, Greedock the Splithead. Quentin had already seen his first key empire planet. That was fortunate, because on the planet Lou, he would see the Juggernaut Stadium and nothing else. Only members of the key species from the Krakens were allowed to go down early. The rest of the team, Human, Sklorno, Quith Warrior, Heavy G, even Doc Patan and the support staff, were not allowed off ship before Sunday's game. When Sunday came, they didn't even use the team shuttle to descend. Instead, Greedock hired an unmarked freighter to take the players down a mere four hours before kickoff. Quentin saw the inside of the landing bay and the visitor's locker room. As soon as he left the locker room, he'd see the stadium, play the game, do his press conference, then back on the freighter and back to the touchback. Greedock wasn't taking any chances. He wanted the team isolated from Commissioner Frost and any investigators. If Frost wanted his people to talk to Jew, Greedock would make sure it was on the touchback and deny each and every meeting as long as possible. Greedock called it laying low, a technique practiced by criminals from time immemorial. The longer Greedock stalled the investigation, the better it was for everyone. In the human locker room of Juggernaut Stadium, Quentin went through his ritual. He laid out his gear, 
but also watched the human players welcome Jew to the team. Quentin and John had spread the story of the showdown between Greedock and Anna, how Anna had revealed Jew's innocence. That, combined with Jew's status as the running back the Kraken so desperately needed, had everyone brimming with excitement. Sure, Jew was still wanted for murder, but his innocence would be proven. The only variable was time. Jew was all smiles and charm, praising the organization, giving thanks, and proclaiming his innocence, but only when asked. He didn't preach or push it on anyone. Everyone loved the man right off the bat. Everyone but Yasud. Yasud simmered with anger, frustration, and failure. He'd had his chance. After five games of futility, he'd been replaced. Unless Jew Tweedy was hurt or killed, Yasud's running days with the Krakens were mostly over. John walked around the locker room like a peacock, strutting proud that his little brother had joined the team. Now that they were on the same team, their sibling rivalry had taken a step back, if not vanished altogether. Helmet in hand and already dressed for the game, John Tweedy saw Quentin and walked over. He didn't smile so much as he beamed, glowed. I'm not going to forget what you did, Q. Quentin shrugged. Ah, you'd have done the same for me. John nodded. Yeah, sure, but that doesn't change the fact that you did it for me, did it for my family, and I want to show you something. He reached into his helmet and pulled out a holo cube, which he handed to Quentin. Quentin took the small piece of plastic and squeezed the sides. A hologram of Ma Tweedy flared to life. She was still hunched over, ears in her shoulders, eyes squinting so tight she might have been blind. She didn't have the half-orange, half-black jersey anymore. She wore an orange Kraken's Away jersey with the number 50. John's number. Her ball cap was also Kraken's orange, with the Ionath logo on the bill and a 48 on the brim. Jew's new number with the team. That's my jersey, John said, his smile still blazing and wide. Mom always did love me best scrolled across his face. She said she was so proud of me for saving Jew. My jersey cue, not his, mine. Congrats, Quentin said, and went to hand the cue back. No, no, it's for you. Hit play. Quentin held the cube in his lap and hit the play icon. The image of Ma Tweedy moved, and her voice came out from the holocube's small surface. Quentin, Jonathan tells me that you saved my boy Julius. Thank you, Quentin. From now on, your family. You always have a home with Ma Tweedy, honey. And don't forget to slide. The playback stopped. Quentin just laughed. Ma likes you. Quentin felt a lump in his throat. This woman that he'd never even met had called him honey had called him family, the kind of words a mother would use. John gave Quentin's hair a quick ruffle, then walked off toward Jew. Quentin put the holocube in his locker. Then he looked at Jew, who was laughing and joking with his brother and with the rest of the Krakens. Quentin watched Jew's charm. Genuine or fake? Quentin remembered the man in that life-and-death situation only a few days earlier, remembered Jew looking down the barrel of a gun and negotiating for a better deal. Quentin would have been grateful beyond measure just to play ball again, to be on a team again. Jew Tweedy? He seemed far more concerned about money. Well, whatever Jew's motivations, Doc Patah had done his magic and repaired the running back's bullet wound. Jew Tweedy was ready to play. And yet, for all of Jew's skill, he had never played a down of Tier 1 football. This game was his coming out party. The Galaxy would be watching waiting to see if Jew could dominate at the highest level. Jew would be ready to show them that he could. Quentin tuned Jew out, tuned everyone out. He started his ritual again, putting the gear on one piece at a time, 
mentally playing through the names, stats, tendencies, and history of every player on the Lou juggernauts. Now, he had an offensive line. Now, he had a running back. The league was about to see just how good the Ionath Krakens could be. Quentin's hand hurt. Hurt in the best way possible. It hurt because every time he handed off to Jew Tweedy, the meaty running back snapped his arms down so hard it nearly broke Quentin's fingers. Jew ran full speed toward the line. Every play, every moment. He ripped his arms down to take the ball like it was some kind of enemy, like it was a threat to Ma Tweedy herself. When Jew hit that line or went through a hole, High One helped the first Lou Juggernaut's defensive player that stepped up to stop him. When Jew dipped his battering ram of a head, lowered his huge shoulders, and slammed into that hapless soul clad in juggernaut steel blue and gold, Quentin could almost see shockwaves. For once, Quentin wasn't covered in stains from the field's plants. In this case, those plants were a coarse, tan grass, light enough to make the black lines and yard markers really pop in the afternoon sun. Quentin wasn't dirty, because the Krakens just kept running the ball. That constant, punishing running style started to wear the juggernauts down. Jew had 22 yards on 7 carries in the first quarter, and another 35 yards on 8 tries in the second quarter, including a 10-yard touchdown run. In the second half, that running game made the linebackers watch for Jew Tweedy, watch him every play. Quentin gave a ball fake, those linebackers froze, waiting to see if they had to tackle the human wrecking ball. That reaction, that freeze, gave Quentin another second, even two seconds of time to throw. Combined with the excellent protection of Michael Kimberlin in the offensive line, for the first time that season, Quentin had time to drop back, step up, and evaluate all his receivers to find the open one. That meant completed passes, and a lot of them. He hit crazy George Starcher six times for 88 yards and a touchdown. Haywick also had a TD, part of her five catches for an even 100 yards. The best part of the game for Quentin? One completion to Halawa which just happened to be for a 36-yard touchdown. The Kraken's defense didn't play great, but they did enough for the win. Running off the field to the violent, drumline-like clacks of the mostly key fans, the Krakens entered the locker room with a 28-21 win, a record of 2-4, and and a new sense of optimism that permeated every ounce of their collective being. The locker room felt electric. Things had felt good when the Krakens beat the Shore Warlords in Week 3, but that had been more relief than anything else. Relief that they would not go the year without a win. This? This was different. It was different because now they had a running game. Jew Tweedy finished the game with 103 yards on 28 carries. His punishing presence demanded defensive attention, giving Quentin more time to throw the ball. As a result... Quentin enjoyed his best game in Tier 1, 15 of 20, for 235 yards and three touchdowns. With a healthy offensive line, a running game that kept the defense on its heels, three excellent receivers, and a quarterback that wasn't half bad, Ionath had suddenly become very, very dangerous. The Kraken's players surrounded Jew, 
filling the central locker room with shouts, clacks, grunts, and laughter. The team was still in last place at 2-4, and four, but were just one game behind the Themyla Dreadnoughts. Six games left in the season. If they won half of those, the possibility of staying in Tier 1 seemed very real. Players congratulated you, welcomed him to the team all over again, happy to give him a slap on the shoulder pads, a handshake, a friendly push. He was the final piece of the offensive puzzle, and everyone knew it. Everyone, except Yasud Murphy. Yasud looked at the celebration. The bearded man wore his emotions on his sleeve, and in that moment, it was plain that he wanted to be Jew Tweedy so bad it might as well have been a holosign floating above his head. Yasud looked down and shuffled into the human locker room. John Tweedy stood at the edge of the central locker room, leaning his back against a wall, his helmet dangling from his fingers by its face mask. His sweaty, clumpy hair stood up in all directions. A steady rivulet of blood drained from his broken nose, out of his left nostril at an angle that curled just past the left corner of his mouth, down his chin, to drip, drip, drip on his already stained jersey. He hadn't bothered to stop the bleeding. Quentin wasn't sure if John even knew he was bleeding. Quentin walked up to him, raised his fist, and brought it down on John's shoulder pads. Uncle Johnny, what's up? Didn't you get the memo? What memo? The one that said, Krakens win, because we did win, you know. John looked at Quentin and forced a weak smile. Yeah, we won. That's good. I just got other things on my mind. John looked back to the circle of players still celebrating with Jew. Quentin wasn't sure what to say. John had put in a monster of a game. Five solo tackles, four more assists, a sack, and an interception. He should have been dancing on the benches and offending people with creative forehead tattoos. John, what's the matter? You were all fired up for your brother before, and we won. So why aren't you happy? John shrugged. I am. It's just, well, Jew's being a good boy right now because he just got here. We had to go get him and all. No choice there. But... But what? John wiped the back of his left hand across his broken nose, saw the blood smearing his knuckles. He grunted with mild surprise, then looked at Quentin, blood still smeared across his nose, lip, and cheek. It's just that a tiger can't change its spots, Q. I love my brother, but he's a real jackass. I just hope he doesn't show his true colors until after the season. John walked to the human locker room, leaving Quentin to stare at the Jew Tweedy fan club and wonder how John could be so jealous of his brother that he didn't appreciate a hard-won victory. GFL Week 7 Roundup, courtesy of Galaxy Sports Network. A last-second field goal by kicker Howard Dinatali gave New Rodina, 5-1, a 35-34 win over the Bartell Waterbugs, 2-4, keeping the astronauts tied for first place in the Sola with the board Brigands. The Brigands outlasted the DeKalb War Dogs, who are 4-3, in a 17-15 nail-biter. This turn of events sets up a crucial first-place showdown next week as the Brigands host the astronauts. In the Planet Division, the Toe Pirates stopped their two-game skid with a 54-0 devastation of the Chillage Spider Bears, who are 0-6. The win moved the Pirates back into first place, thanks to the Ice Storm, 4-2, dropping 24-17 to the Wabash Wolfpack. Isis and Wabash are now tied for second with the Mars Planets, who had a bye. Deaths. No deaths reported this week. Offensive Player of the Week. 
INF quarterback Quentin Barnes, who went 15 of 20 for 235 yards and three touchdowns. Defensive player of the week. Two Pirates linebacker Rickard Damji, who had four solo tackles, five assists, a sack, and a fumble recovery against Chilich. <laughs> You have been listening to The Starter, Season 3 of the Galactic Football League Series. Written and performed by Scott Sigler. Produced by Ariok Morningstar with post-production by Steve Rickyberg. For more information on Scott and more free stories, go to scottsigler.com. Theme music is the song The Kids Are Coming For You by the band Superweapon. Superweaponband.com Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.